Well, hello, everyone. This is our first podcast. My name is Rex Aldana, and now I'll let my counterpart here speak and introduce himself. Hello, I'm Mark Stevens, and um, it's interesting because, Rex, you're coming from the West Coast. Oh. You're three hours behind me. I'm on the East Coast yep. in South Carolina, so we're coming up from both sides of... Right. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area in California, and so complete opposite ends of the coast, but this is our yes. first attempt at doing a Eurythmics uh, discussion podcast, which is basically just the two of us talking about how we feel about certain Eurythmical subjects. Um, our first one this week will be uh, Eurythmics video clips, their groundbreaking video clips. We'll start with a little talking about In the Garden because it's the 40th anniversary of that album. Um, but we're looking forward to doing more of these and we hope that um, some of the fans out there may want to join us sometime and where we could have a discussion amongst two, three or four of us about any given Eurythmics topic. And uh, I just think it will be a lot of fun. So these are going to be on the Eurythmics Video Visionaries website, of which I'm the webmaster. And um, we hope to make when this kind you, of a series. You, I'm sorry, Mark? Yeah, when, did, when did you start that website? How long has it been? That was in 1999. Um, wow. First started. So, yeah, um, celebrated 20 years, what, last year? Or, well, the year the year that the, the whole coronavirus thing started. <laughs> But yeah, so a little over 20 years now, and um, yeah, it's um, great to keep it going and that people are interested. So hopefully this will be an even even more interest to people. Yeah, we, we sort of decided to do this as part of your website, but you know that you and I have these conversations that, you know, you know, we can go on and on for different topics about Eurythmics. And we said, well, this could be interesting and it it's an opportunity at some point to bring in other fans and talk to them. And right. Not, so not, that we thought, this, not that we thought that we were just so interesting that everybody would be clamoring to hear what we're saying, but we have a lot of fun talking. So we just thought it would be fun to put that yeah. down for others to hear and then invite others to join us. And I'm, I'm hoping that when some of the fans hear this, they'll think, wow, yes, I would love to like, I would love to jump in there and add this and add that. And that's what we'd, we'd be looking for. Yeah. Okay. Then. All right. So let's let's start talking about in the garden. Um, Steve Gaylor's website, Ultimate Eurythmics, is doing a great, um, you know, promotion for that with all sorts of great photos. Some of which I hadn't even seen. Yeah, great photos. Uh, yeah, great photos. So, um, Mark, what are your thoughts on in the garden forty years later? Well, I did. I actually did a post about this the other day. You know, it's crazy that it's forty years. Just, just amazing. And, you know, when you think back, okay, I was 12 or 13 years old at that point. Now, but the point is, I didn't hear In the Garden until probably 1986 mm -hmm. when I found it in a regular mall yep. record store. And Same they, with you me. know, asked my dad to buy it for me, you know, because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't released in the U.S. So we were getting it as a... Um, you know, as an import, and it was, you know, a little more expensive, but my parents were really good about buying me Eurythmics records that tended to be sort of expensive because we couldn't get a lot of them. Just, you know, we, we would get the standard releases, of course. Right. But, you know, here in the U.S., we were sort of discovering that there was a past to Eurythmics um, beyond Love is a Stranger and Sweet Dreams and, of course, the follow-up albums. So, you know... It was it was an amazing sort of discovery, and I do remember 
the first time playing it. And that, you know, it wasn't like any of the music that we were accustomed to at that point from Eurythmic. So it was different. Um, and, but, you know, I guess we I had heard Never Gonna Cry Again and Take Me to Your Heart because we would would have heard them on the right. the Heaven video, the live album video. But those are totally different versions of those songs, you know, very different. So it was um, it was quite a, quite a change. Yeah. What did, you, what did you think the first time? And how did you hear it the first well, time? Well, pretty much the same way as you. I think it was in 1985 when I first stumbled across it in a, in a record store as an import. And um, I had, by that point, I knew that it existed, but um, I'd never seen it anywhere. And that was... For me, anyways, that was before the back before the heavy collecting days where I would go into Goldmine magazine or you know things like that. So it was just pretty much my local area where I grew up in Florida, and uh, came across it in the record store, bought it, took it home, and like you, the first time I heard it, I was surprised because it was not like what we had come to expect so far from Eurythmics. Um, I remember thinking this is very different, but I like it. Um, I also remember being struck that Annie's Annie's lyrics sounded very um, like you know like poetry. Uh, I just that's exactly what I started to say was it, it is very poetic, right? Written in a very poetic way, and you know she was young, very young then, and and um, you know when we're all at that age, we're so influenced by um, every kind of art and culture that we absorb. So, um, and I know she had mentioned she had been into some poets. So I, I kind of see that, that in the lyrics and, um, and I just have to say, I think Dave Stewart's guitar playing on the, on the album is amazing. I mean, it's so, you really have to listen to the album a lot to get all of its nuances. It, 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 it's as deep as anything else they did, I think later on in their careers. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, and um, I guess at that point I was a, yeah, I was aware of it. So uh, certainly when I saw it, I knew what it was. Um, you know, and I don't even remember how much I knew that there had been two singles. I may have known that. I have, So it was certainly the first time I'd ever heard what would have been the second single, which, you know, of course, as everyone knows, was Belinda. Right. Which to me is the the only song on that album that sort of still sounds like the tourist. It was this, that weird mesh there. Right. Sort of like and, a bridge between the two bands, maybe. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really surprised it was the second single because I have to I, say I, my, my partner, David, who grew up in the San Francisco Bay area, heard Belinda a lot on the radio, college radio, progressive radio really? back when in the garden was a new album. So he was actually familiar with in wow. the garden, even before sweet dreams, he and his circle of, Alterna friends had had bought and listened to that record. So they were aware of Eurythmics even before Sweet Dreams. So when he tells me those kind of stories, I think, wow, you know. <laughs> well, there's Eurythmics fan. He's a, a friend of mine, Clem Stonball in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And he tells the story. He bought In the Garden around the time it was released because his local record store would get in imports. And the guy who ran the record store knew him. And, and I think Clem had said something to the effect of anything new that I'd like. And he said, Hey, if you like Blondie, you'll probably like this album. Mm -hmm. And so he bought it. 
and he took it home and he says he didn't listen to it much. He didn't see too much of the connection there. But uh, an interesting story. That's that's so crazy about Dave. Yeah. On the radio station that they were playing, college radio, yeah. <laughs> which that was what college radio did back in the day, at least. I don't know what college radio does now, but. You know, they, they weren't playing necessarily the top four. Yeah. So it was always- uh, the tourists and, and in the In the Garden era Eurythmics seem to be fairly well known in the San Francisco Bay Area. I had somebody else I knew years ago who actually saw the tourists open for somebody. I can't remember who it is um, here in the Bay Area at like one of our large large venues like the cow palace or something like that. So he was like, yeah, I know who Annie, I knew who Annie Lennox was before Eurythmics came out. So there's. There were those pockets of places where people <laughs> heard about it, but I certainly didn't hear about it growing up in conservative yeah. well, Orlando, Florida. And I, I did not either in conservative Tennessee. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, and, and really, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really into pop music very much until about Sweet Dreams, and, and a little bit before. Yeah. You know, I was still a young teenager I, my dad was into music and I, I listened he played a lot of Simon Garfunkel and country music and different things so I was exposed to a lot of music and he really liked music that's, so I was exposed yeah, you're, to you're about what five years younger than me so yeah you were more like 13-ish around the time this was all starting where I was more like 17 and 18. Wow I didn't know that Okay. So, I think of this as the exact same age. All of us in Eurythmics land are all the same I age. Know, yeah, we're all like, what, like 50? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, maybe we're still 29. Let's say that. But I just, my, it was so interesting because, you know, I, I, this, you know, I have been, this is, Eurythmics have been the soundtrack to my life as it has for a lot of us that would be interested in all this. But, you know, somewhere along the line, I think everyone does this. You know, you you connect, or most people do, you connect to music and some artist uh, more than others. Most people do that. I, I will never understand people who really don't like music or don't connect to certain kids because it doesn't compute with Right, me too. I'm the same way. Songs are so important to me, you know, and I kind of internalize them. And I can't sing. I wish I could sing. <laughs> but, you know... So, but music is so important to me and it always, you know, has been. And then discovering Eurythmics and I, I don't know what it was, you know, I don't know what to me, it's like, it just happened, you know, and then every, and I didn't, I didn't buy an album for until uh, I think my first album was Be Yourself Tonight, maybe. So I, I still, this, you know, this kid that w- I would go to the record store and I would buy their singles mm-hmm. so i'd get the sweet dream single the love is a stranger you know so that's how i got their music but i wasn't buying the albums it still wasn't connecting to me that this is how all this works you know again i'm just you know you're young and this is how you're doing it yeah just i know it's different for a lot of people i don't know how you and by, yeah well by the time they you know sweet dreams hit i was 17 i was already into music already buying albums but i would buy the singles as well just because i love the picture sleeves so much and they were so mm-hmm you know, so different and cool. Like, well, we could, that's another podcast topic. Is pictures okay. <laughs> but um, going back to in the garden, I just wanted to, um, I recently listened to it and, and jotted down a few notes as I was listening to it. Just, you know, some impressions that it made on me. And, um, you know, 
in English summer, you hear, you know, Dave has recordings of like, you know, like street recordings, sounds of like cars and everyday life. And that was pretty groundbreaking back then. Um, and also that kind of, that kind of thing was also, I think, criticized by a lot of music critics at the time, not just him doing it, but maybe others as, you know, kind of like, what are they doing? Why does that need to be in there? Uh, we've come full circle now, and that is the norm in production now is to have any kind of sounds, you know. I think we first started seeing that with Beck in the mid-90s where he was he was doing a cut and paste of all kinds of sounds and putting them together, including, uh, you know, live action sounds like Dave did. So that, that was something that struck me as being pretty groundbreaking. And I think, and I, uh, I, I don't know where, if I read this or it's in the Connie Plank, there's a great documentary about him but i believe he's the one who encouraged dave to do things like that and that he talked about n noise is a totally different thing and noise can be part of the music and right. and uh, yeah that's a and we, know that, we know that dave when dave was young he likes he used to like to go around with a tape recorder and and record sound so you have that influence plus you know connie um you know helping him along with that as well and so you see something that basically throughout their career, they always incorporated sounds like that into their songs, even if some of it was very subtle and not so so obvious, you know. Right. It's always cool. Um, and then I was thinking about Belinda. You know, her, her, her vocals are so kind of light and breathy through the whole thing. And then you get to the end, and there's that backing singing where she's, you know, doing those kind of like woes, and, and, and it's very intense. And it, it, it foreshadows what we were to hear from her later, you know, vocally. I think on In the Garden, she, I don't want to say she restrained her vocals, but they were a certain type of vocals that were presented in a certain way, I think, for the material on the album. And, um, but you could hear subtle influences of the, of the deep soulfulness and the, um, you know, the voice, which was to come, the iconic voice that we would all get used to. Yeah. Crazy though, forty years, just crazy. I mean, I just yeah. Um, and you know, and I still, I'm still hoping. We, I know everyone is that you know, Sony or music, whoever the record label, somebody will start doing some anniversary pieces with these things. You know, still very hopeful for sweet dreams. We've got a, you know, year, a couple of years that maybe they could put something together and do something crazy. Yeah, so that would be um, 2023, right? So hmm. let's hope. Well, or 2022, depending on if you're going by the – no, 20 – yeah, it was 1983. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a few more things in the garden. She's invisible now, you know, has the uh, numerical counting down in the background, which we were to see later, of course, on Double Plus Good and um, – the use of that kind of rhythmic stuff on the, you know, on, on Savage and things like that. Um, I was going to say that, you know, uh, all the young people of today, when you think back to the 1980s, you know, there was often such a critique of that kind of um, yuppie go get em culture, but she, but Annie seems to be, it's, it's, there's a positive message in the song, you know, um, about how good this is that young people are 
getting out there and doing their thing. And I just thought that was interesting in retrospect because you hear so much, you hear, you hear about it talk so negatively these days about, you know, the, uh, the consume, the consumerism of the eighties, the, uh, the whole yuppie mentality. And I just found it interesting that she was sort of em- embracing that, uh, at a point in that song. Yeah. yeah. That and take me to your heart would have been great singles from that album. Yes. I still think I still yeah. think yeah take me to your heart should have been a single definitely definitely yeah I always thought that for the um, greatest hits the first greatest hits in 91 was it uh, that they should have gone back and revamped one of the end of the garden songs either take me to your heart or even never gonna cry again uh, instead of you know the remix reissues of love is a stranger and sweet dreams right. I, I, or, you know, uh, you know, I just that would have been interesting to me. I think that would have been, you know, because they had, had really changed those songs in live performances and they could have really revamped it in that sort of style. So anyway, yeah. no one asked me. That's what it reminds me of, of how, how the Revenge album translated. You know, uh, it was much different on record than live. You know, it was two different feels. And um, I always thought, wow, if they could, if they could, Imagine taking an album like Savage and giving it that that live band treatment. I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? Anyways, that's we're going off on another little tangent here. But one last <laughs> one last thing I want to say about In the Garden was on Sing Sing. You know, she's singing in French. Of course, we've had we were used to hearing Debbie Harry already singing in French with Denis. You know, that sort of uh, the new wave the new wave uh, singer who's you know singing in French. <laughs> and so, of course, that foreshadowed Tous les Garçons, which came later. And I just I just always found that interesting that Debbie Harry sang in French, Annie Lennox sang in French. It sort of seemed to be, and maybe some other female artists did. I, I'm sure somebody out there is probably thinking, so and somebody's, you know, this person sang in, Fran- in French. But um, I just thought it was interesting. You know, here you have two of, of, of New Wave's biggest divas, and they're both sort of dabbling in the French singing. I think Annie was obviously very influenced by Debbie Harry. Uh, and even as, you know, she and Dave were creating their music, you know, I think she was already being influenced by Debbie Harry. Very, um, you know, well influenced, of course. But yeah, that's interesting. And and Debbie Harry did it really well, the, the French uh, songs and things like right, that. So, right. And, very um, so it just sort of, it did become sort of like a new wave uh just a thing, a thing to do, you know? Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Are there, were there other artists out there that sang songs in French that were, you know, new wave artists? I'm sure there were, but. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some, but, maybe I mean, somebody you know, can let us know. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that gives us a good lead. Uh, so we wanted to talk about videos because of course your website is video visionaries and Eurythmics video visionaries. And so we, for this first podcast, we wanted to talk about some of the videos from Eurythmics. So that kind of leads us to the Never Gonna Cry Again video, which is so strange because there's a great recording on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Right. We've, you know, and, and thank goodness we've got it. And it's a really quality recording, but it's never made um, any of the video releases, the greatest hits video album, the ultimate collection video album. There's been never made. There's been speculation yep. that it had to do with, with, with some sort of rights. I'm not sure why it, it uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I think that did, it didn't even get shown very much because two of the 
uh, musicians slash actors in the video didn't have um, were German and they didn't oh, right. uh, yes, have that. British musicians unionship or something. And so they couldn't show it. So, you know, and don't know all the details of how all those things sort of worked, but if that was the case, you'd think that would be gone. My guess is it's like a lot of these things is that master tape just lost, you know, that nobody actually even has it, now, which is really sad, but a really interesting video you know, which was such a thrill the first time I saw that. And I have no idea how many years later it was before I saw the video. Yeah. So we, we did see that little clip. They used part of it in on the Sweet Dreams video album during the Jennifer. Exactly. Yes. Uh, yes. And we had that. Wasn't that always intriguing to see that little clip? You were like, what is that? And and you, you kind of knew there was another video somewhere that you hadn't seen, you know, mm -hmm. um, at least for those of us in America, you know, maybe the maybe the folks in Europe had a little more access to it than we did. Yeah. but. Um, but, you know, it's a really interesting video in the sense of, you know, uh, and I think the, you know, so she goes back she goes into the ocean at the end and she's, right. you know, just repeating, never going to cry again, never right. going to cry again. And so you're getting a sense of, okay, she's walking into the ocean and she's not coming right. back, which of course is the flip side of that video where in part of the video, she comes out of the ocean in sort of reverse motion. Right. But uh, I think most people have probably seen it by now. If you haven't seen it, look it up on YouTube yeah. because it's worth seeing. Yeah. Well, but, you know, so it's kind of a very, um, you know, sad song in a way. But then, you know, when she's performing it live, it's, you know, kind of a real kick ass song in a way. You know, yeah. I'm never going to cry again. And, you know, kind of. I've always so thought the video is kind of. It, it seems to be like Here Comes the Rain Again before Here Comes the Rain Again um, in terms of the themes, you know, I mean, forlorn, love lost, you know, walking, walking alone by the water. Then you even have um, Dave following her around or following people around, taking notes and stuff. Sort of like he is in the Here Comes the Rain Again video where we see him like filming her or the, the, the appearance of him stalking her and filming her. So I think there were the ideas in that video, which they fleshed out later in Here Comes the Rain Again. But it's also very like Fellini-esque, kind of Fellini or, or Bergman, you know, it's got that kind of funny imagery, especially with all the different characters on the beach and, and the way the, yeah. the way it's filmed and, and uh, the movements and all that. It just, um, it just looks like, you know, two artists, two artists got together and said, who, who had actually seen a lot of films and said, let's make this great video, you know? And yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. First video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, Belinda didn't have a video that anyone knows of. I've never heard of one. I've, there's never been any discussion of it. So I'm assuming there was never a video right. for Belinda. Yeah, we can um, maybe consider one of the live, like, old gray whistle test performances, the video or something like that. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, so, I mean, their next video would have been... Um, would have been The Walk, probably, right? And that's the second single from... Um, or. Well, being U.S. centric here, you know, I, 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 you know, to me, the singles were "Love Is a Stranger," "Here Comes the Rain Again." I mean, uh, "Sweet Dreams," but yeah, the walk, yeah. the walk was first in the UK. This, oh well, so. yeah, is that right? The walk and this is the house, and so the walk had a video, and which has again never been on any of the video albums. Yeah. Really, wasn't discovered until what? About like 2005, 2005, yeah. 
Didn't you? Didn't you interview? I inter um, yeah, I interviewed the director Marek Budzinski. I believe that's how you say his name. Um, for my website back then, and um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was filmed uh, in some sort of brewery or something. Somebody that Dave knew. That's why you. That's why you can see the uh, the uh, kegs of beer as she's walking yeah. along. Um, She's in a black wig yeah. too. It's a very, it's interesting that it came after never going to cry again, because I think never going to cry again is a, is a better made video than the walk. And I think they acted better in the never going to cry again video in, in this video. Um, you know, she doesn't seem too sure of herself in the video. You know, it's not, um, it's not the best performance. Um, no, which, <laughs> and, um, and I think they know that. Was, and I think that's why it was probably never released. Um, it's interesting, but it, was, but it was college was, it was college kids for what, for lack of a better term. Yeah. That were doing the shooting. Sophie Muller, who went on, you know, years later, who <laughs> would be part of the groundbreaking video director for Savage and, and many, 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 many other artists and other stuff for Eurythmics, of course. Um, she was she's the one that did the editing. So right. one of these kids, her, her and her and Marek were friends. They went they they were at the same schooling together or something like that. So um, they they knew each other, and that's I think probably the beginnings of how they they knew her. Interesting that it would be such a long time before they would work with her again. You know, not until what nineteen eighty seven. Yes, but anyway, that is fascinating that you know that there's that connection. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating thing that you'll see along with Eurythmics over the years that, you know, some connections stay and they'll come back and come in and out and yeah. that Sophie Muller would have been part of that. It's just insane. But an interesting video, but you, like you said, uh, the not on the professionalism of certainly what was to come. Exactly. Uh, I suspect maybe they had a bigger budget for <laughs> never going to cry again. The Maybe the record yeah. label was giving them some money for that. I don't know for sure. I guess next would have been Love as a Stranger, and that's quite, that's yeah. quite a leap from from <laughs> Never Gonna Cry Again or The Walk. Um, that you know that was you know that's considered that's considered I think one of the best videos of all time, and and um, it's certainly shot very well. And um, Steve Rapport, the photographer, um, talks about how it's kind of film noirish and and. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it seems to be kind of a pastiche. It, it, it doesn't really seem to be like about one particular thing. It seems to have a bunch of ideas going on in there about, is, you know, like Steve said in, his, in, in the interview I did with him, um, is, she, is she a call girl? <laughs> is she, is she just, a robot? Yeah, is, she, <laughs> is she just a normal person? Is she just, you know, is she just on the bad side of a breakup? Is she in love with somebody? Is she, is she a call girl? What, what's going on here? Is it all just the personas we have inside us, you know, how we feel at certain times, you know? Yeah, and is it, you know, it's supposed to, is it supposed to be futuristic as well? You know, all these things that, are supposed to look futuristic, which is so weird because everybody talks about it now that it looks like Dave is talking on an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, which I believe was actually Steve's uh, light, Steve Rapport's light, uh, light meter. Meter. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, and at one point, you know, when she gets out of the car, uh, the door opens itself. So I think you know these are just little things that I think you're supposed to catch, uh, and. I think it's that thing about if, you know, 
film and different things that all of us are supposed to get different things out of it. Right. Right. Clearly Dave and Annie had a concept for it, but we don't necessarily know what that concept is. And are we getting that exact concept? Exactly. Supposedly it was controversial in the U S and she had to prove that she was a woman and not a man. You always hear this and it just, it always seems so ridiculous to me because I'm going to go back to again, how young I was and just discovering music. And I think one of none of this, <laughs> none of these sweet dreams and what is, none of this stuff shocked me. And again, I'm this young kid, but none of it's, and I think there's a reason for it. And I was trying to think about this the other day. Again, I wasn't really into music. I didn't have MTV for many years, you know, didn't have cable for many years, just had sort of the, you know, I saw videos on, what was it? Friday night videos on NBC or oh, okay. some yeah. Yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's what I was, you know, and most people, you know, you know, videos were, that's just sort of where I discovered what music looked like visually. And I had no concept that this was, this was different or strange. I just saw it like, wow. <laughs> I remember going to school on Monday after seeing Lowe's a Stranger on Friday night videos and trying to explain it to my friends who all were, my close friends were all into Eurythmics and Culture Club and Duran Duran and all the stuff one should be in and about in the 80s but, and trying to describe it because I, I didn't even know the song yet. Hadn't bought the single, couldn't really internalize what the lyrics were saying. So it was, what, but what a great video. I mean, it just, right. and it still looks you know, perfect today. Right. You know, a lot of videos shot way back then, they're fuzzy and they're mm. not well shot. I mean, this was, you know, film, just art. Well, they're slowly, you know, remastering them, uh, you know, 4Kng them and HDing them. So I've noticed they only seem to look better when they uh, when they are, are upgraded. So, Amazing. yeah. Um, yeah, that, um, I remember, you know, the whole controversy, you know, she rips off the wig, she's got the short hair, and oh my gosh, is she a man? We got to see her birth certificate and all this kind of BS. I I was never shocked either. I, I when, you know, like, okay, so she she takes off her wig. I just thought, okay, so she's got short hair underneath there. She likes to wear wigs. I mean, I, I did, my first thought wasn't like, oh my God, that's yeah. that's a man, and, you know, and, and oh my gosh, you know, she was pretending to be a man all along and, and you know. What if what if I was turned on by by her and then all of a sudden it was a guy you know how or whatever you know it's like I clearly I think that's what got under some people's skin is you know the people that were in an uproar about it was maybe they were finding her attractive and then all of a sudden oh no did I was I was I finding a boy attractive and I didn't realize it um, but again well that's the whole thing was so dumb to me because I, I never I mean, we've talked about this before. I never, I never thought she was a man. I, I always knew she was a woman. Um, I always knew the theatricality of it, you know. It, so the whole up in arms business, I, I found very amusing and frustrating as well because it would translate into people I knew who would make comments, you know, like. Yeah, well, it is that is interesting. Your concept there of you know why it bothered certain people, and to me, it's interesting that. You're still, again, you were older than I, 17, or I was 13, 14, whatever it was, you know. And it's interesting to me that this somehow wasn't, it didn't shock me. Uh, as it, I think older people were more apt to be, and maybe that's just it. You know, maybe that's, you know, 
maybe older people would be shocked by some video today where younger people are like, nah, that's just, that's just normal. So that's interesting how yeah. maybe age and different philosophy and stuff. But I think I was more, yeah. uh, more, I don't know. We, I wouldn't even use the word shocked, but more shocked by the orange short hair than the fact that maybe there was anything androgynous going on or anything like that, you know, especially in the sweet dreams video, you know, when you first see her and it's, it, it is a bit of a shock. I remember the first time seeing that video and thinking, but I remember my first thought was, wow, I love this. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> that was my first thought, you know, and, and, uh, well, clearly it struck a chord because it went, it went big time, but, um, yeah, there's so many in, so many things going on in that video. The whole video, I think, is based. Sweet Dreams is basically about you know um, how the record record companies versus the artists, basically, you know, and mm -hmm. and how record companies want you to be a certain way, act a certain way, but they weren't going to do that. They were going to break the mold, you know. Um, mm -hmm. We don't, you know, you want us out in the field with the cows then then we'll just bring the cow right into the boardroom you know and and well it it it, it must have been you know the, whenever the record store finally heard you know sweet dreams and they said okay we're going to release this as a single and amy annie has talked about it so often you know she wasn't even sure that that it was a single you know cuz it is it's a very strange song yeah uh so was love so was love as a stranger for that matter that is not a normal um, concept for a song, how it's written mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. And then of course, Sweet Dreams really threw anything out of the <laughs> ballpark on how a song should be written. But it, it must have been crazy for the record company. First, they have this song, which is totally different. And you know, there's someone in the record company going, this is a hit. This is a hit. And then they have this video that must, okay, what the hell is this? <laughs> Well, it was basically skewering them, you know. Um, you know, to me, I when I first saw it, of course, I was a teenager, and a lot of it didn't make sense. It just seemed very surreal. But now that I'm older, I, I look at it with different with different eyes, and you know, I just see, you know, they're laying, they're both laying on the table while the cow walks around, sort of like um, being served up to the industry, or or. To me, the cows symbolize kind of maybe the mm. the general population, you know, or what mm. what um, the record company wants to target to be very mainstream. So here you have the cow walking around them in the boardroom while they're laying on the table. To me, it's just all very much like you know we're being offered up to this you know mm. this to this entity that wants us to basically sell our souls to make money, and uh, <laughs> they weren't going to do that. And that that's and, and that's what the whole video is about is like we're going to flip this and we're going to you know that's what that is interesting because they 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 had a very you know they'd had a rocky relationship with the record company from the tourist and they owed the record company a lot of money at the end of the tourist and and so they were always very cautious you know and I don't think either one of them believed that I'm sure they had people in the record company that they liked and believed in and. But neither one of them, Dave or Annie, were going to let themselves think that the record company cared one iota about them personally. Right. The record company cared about how much money they could make. Right. Which, you know, clearly Dave and Annie made a lot of money for the record company right. back in the day. And, and, doing, it, and doing it their way. Yeah. So, so I think, okay, so we'll move on to uh, the Touch album. And, of course, I think the first video was Who's That Girl? 
Yeah. That's the video. Yeah, which I remember they were, I think they were even showing that in the US on MTV before it was even, before the Touch album even came out. Because that video had already been made, I think. And um, yeah, so, uh, well, what can you say about that video? Of course, it has the groundbreaking scene at the end where she kisses herself. And um, that caused quite a bit of uh, comment. Of course, she followed up with a performance in drag on the Grammys. Around the same time, yeah. But, you know, as you said, you know, that MTV was showing it some, but I still think for the most part, the most, the majority of the public did not see Who's That Girl here in the U.S. until after Here Comes the Rain Again. Yeah. Around that same time that Here Comes the Rain Again was coming out was the Grammy Awards, and she's in that same character as the man that she plays Mm -hmm. in the Who's That Girl video, which is such a, you know, two... Uh, different crazy different characters in that video for her that that's that singer and that black dress and that blonde wig and you know very kind of, uh, I, it's very 60s inspired and it it, uh, it, it, yeah. it it it's almost filmed like well you know like one of those 60s romantic melodramas you know um mm-hmm. that kind of it's all it's very colorful yet, yet yeah. there's all sorts of angst going on you know and um i, I mean that was their third you know, that was released sort of on its own before Touch. It was part of Touch, but right. sort of as an independent single. Yeah. But when you think about that video and all of the different musicians and stars and celebrity people who were in it, and you have to think even then that people wanted to be part of whatever this thing was that was Eurythmics. Yeah. You know, because even though they had major success with Sweet, Sweet Dreams and the re-release of Love is a Stranger, you know, they still were not what they came to be by 1985, 1986, where they were just huge all around the world. So when you think about that, I think that says a lot about who they were as musicians, who they were with video, that they could attract all of these people. Yeah. Say, hey, you want to be in this video? Yeah. And it yeah. was such a great video. And we, we've got some trivia that we had from our interview with Lawrence Stevens, remember, He's in that Lawrence Stevens, who most people know, designed most of all of the record sleeves, album covers, record sleeves for Eurythmics, the designer. But he plays the ver- the male version, the backside, when you see him and, and, and Annie walking out. Yeah. So she needed a male counterpart to walk out with backward. So they just used him. I guess that was, they could have done the same thing and superimposed her in that, but there'd been no point. So blink and you miss it. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think Lawrence is very thrilled about that. <laughs> oh, I know. You know, a part of music history in there, but, but the guy wanted to comment on her Grammy, perf- the Grammy performance uh, where she dressed up like Earl. And, um, you know, I've, I've, there's been talk about it over the years and she's made comments about, yeah, you know, apparently um, this really struck a chord and it, it, for me, it struck a huge chord when I saw that. Um, I can't even begin to, de- that's probably one of my, I would say my Eurythmics watershed moments where it, something just affected me so much that it influenced how I felt about them going forward in a much different way. When I saw that performance, I remember thinking, where's Annie? I, I heard her. I didn't see her. I was completely fooled by it. Then, as I realized, like midway through, oh my God, that's her! It was like it was like a lightning bolt struck me, and 
I, to this day, I still can't really put into words what that meant to me. I think what it really meant to me was it gave me a glimpse of what what I was going to like artistically later as an adult. Like it sort of foreshadowed the types of, of experimentation and and progressiveness with art that would I would enjoy later. So it sort of opened my eyes to a whole different kind of artistic world. You know, aside from the obvious gay thing, you know, this was somebody in drag. I mean, it just, it, it, it just really, it just really had a big effect on me for, for the reason I just said, yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it was well, interesting. And, and I, I don't even think, I don't know when I actually first saw that. I don't think I saw that live. I have no memory of watching the Grammys and seeing that. Uh, so I don't think I did. I probably heard about it the next day or yeah. whatever, whatever day, whatever day it would have been at school. Wherever I think because when you read back on the stories about it, it was supposed to be Michael Jackson's night. He was up for every award under the sun. But the thing that people were writing about was Annie Lennox uh, as a man on the Grammys. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So it was yeah. interesting. I, I I never heard if Michael Jackson was upset about that. I'm assuming he wasn't. <laughs> he was. I, I wouldn't think so. That was also the night Culture Club won for best new artist. Uh, yes. The Eurythmics were also nominated. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think his I think he said something. Was what was his quote? America knows a good drag queen when yeah, she sees exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so then you actually had, you know, Annie in drag. Right. <laughs> they weren't so, they weren't even there. They were accepting remotely via video. Yes, yeah. yeah. But imagine how but imagine how controversial what he just said was on American television. Yeah. And you would and I don't know which came first, their performance or I believe or their performance award. came first, yeah. And so, you know, so America is watching this and they're getting a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Well, and, and what was interesting about his so comment about, you know, knowing a good drag queen when you see it was that was still back in the time where he was being very ambiguous. It's like, yes. is he gay? Is he not gay? Are you gay? Are you not gay? And so when he's, I remember thinking when he said that, it's like, wow. So that's kind of like you're now admitting it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not that you have to be gay to be a drag queen. I'm just saying, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting because. It certainly wasn't said. And even when he said it, you know, people didn't say the word. I mean, it just, you know, it just, they didn't say it. Uh, the, I mean, you may have, but it was still one of those things that, well, we won't talk about it. It was such a weird time when you think about how far we've come in that. Uh, but really, in the the 80s and, these, and music and how it changed culture and how it changed lives much then and later on it's really quite extraordinary yeah yeah uh right by your side would be the next video of course that was one of the uh was that the first performance video from the band yeah and, and dave and annie actually got that wrong <laughs> in, a, in a you know they did this great interview video with them when the a couple of years ago when the three years ago when the vine the new vinyl mm -hmm. came out mm -hmm. And Dave actually refers to it was their first performance video being Would I Lie to You? Uh, but it wasn't. It was right by your side. Because actually Would I Lie to You is more of a performance slash live video. But right by your side is basically this is what we look like live. This is what it looks like on our tour. And I suspect that was part of the reason. You know, they were going out again on the Touch Tour. 
and it was a good promotion for that. It still surprises me. I love that video, by the way. I love that song. I love that video. I love her outfit. Yeah. The leopard peel box hat. Iconic. Leopard. Yeah. That, oh my. She pretty much, uh, with that one video, she pretty much patented that whole 80s leopard pillow box kind of look. That I mean, you saw it everywhere for the next 10 years. You know, you couldn't walk into like a, into a Spencer Gifts or, or any of those kind of stores where you wouldn't see some, some, some woman in a leopard pillbox hat, some image of that, whether it be a mask you could buy or a ceramic, something or other. But I mean, she, she, she looks so stylish to me, you know, that whole thing, you know, but she had her own style. Nobody else, even though it right. did, like you're saying, it did get copied and it was part, but nobody had done it, you know, and she wasn't doing it because it was an eighties thing to do. She was taking this and okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have all these pillbox hats made. And, you know, they were very, I guess, 60 inspired, 60 ish inspired or whatever. But I mean, nobody looked like her. Nobody did anything right. like that. I mean, well, I it just was used to talk about how she'd go to thrift stores and find all sorts yeah. of odds and ends. And, you know, that hat, that, um, that, uh, leopard skin she has draped across her could was most likely bought at, you know, thrift stores or something like that. Yeah. Um, you're right. And nobody else was kind of doing that. And, and, Again, you're right. She was. It wasn't about the '80s. It was about the art and what they were doing at that moment and, and their influences. And I just think they really loved that visual medium. I mean, they they made no bones about how much they loved making videos. And and that was something I never understood about. You know, you would hear some artists say, "Oh, we hate making videos and all that." And I always thought, "Why would you hate that?" You know, um, that seems like it would be a natural extension of what you're already doing to get even more creative. But you know, I guess not everybody has those types of interests. So Dave and Annie did. Yeah, I, think, I mean, any kind of filming is, is long and tedious. And I suspect that's where a lot of people came in, that it was hours and maybe days of doing the same thing and not in the end, it probably lost its, you know, fascinating if you fascination, if you weren't doing it, but you know, a great video, very simple. And it still shocks me a little bit that here comes the rain again was the third and final single from the Touch album, because that video, again, is so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That was one of, the, one of those ones that caused a sensation. I remember I hadn't seen it yet, and I was, in, I was at school, and one of my classmates said, have you seen the New Year Rhythms video? She walk, she's walking around in her nightgown. <laughs> and I'm like, and that, I'm like, and I'm like what? It, with that hair? She's walking around in her What's going on? So, you know, so, yeah, couldn't wait to see that. And I remember it was brand new at the time. The video was brand new, you know, so sometimes there's that little bit of a lag, like when they premiere a video for the first time, and then maybe you don't see it for maybe a week or so, and then all of a sudden you start to see it. So I was in that lag yeah. period where they weren't they weren't kind of showing it heavily yet, but I had already heard about it. So when I finally saw it, it was like, oh, wow, yeah, I mean, it just, it blows you away. Uh, and, and we should remind people, again, in the U.S., it was the first single yeah. from Touch, yeah. and we got Here Comes the Rain Again followed by Who's That Girl, that which had been released months and months earlier. And then we got, because when, what was it, you know, uh, Who's That Girl was getting released in England and Sweet Dreams was had barely been number one here. So we had a long lag here in the U.S. and catching up with the rest of the world on Eurythmics. But, so Here Comes the Rain Again was first single, followed by Who's That Girl and then Right By Your Side. But, you know, and but think think about the nightgown for just a minute. And rock, music, pop videos. 
No one else <laughs> who was wearing cotton all the way down to her feet. Exactly. She had to, you know, it was cold in the Orkney Islands where they shot this. It was freezing. That, that was no sexy <laughs> nightgown. That was just your standard, standard issue, you know, plain Jane nightgown. And there was nothing sexy about it. But yet no. there was everything sexy about it. You know, I, I, I mean, you know, in, in trying to be, well, I mean, the song is a romantic song to begin with. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Um, but it, it is that sort of, um, you know, you're supposed to be really intrigued with this character in this video and what is she doing? And, uh, and like you said, it is this romantic song. Talk to me like lovers do and all this stuff, you know, but it again is just Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart doing what they do because no one else, no one else would have done that video. They were certainly, if they were doing somebody else and, you know, some, you would have had somebody in this long flowing silk gown that was blowing in the wind. Mm -hmm. No one else did what Eurythmics did. And I love that video uh, for its setting. As soon as I saw it back in 19, it would have been February, 1984 for us, I guess, you know, I wanted to see wherever this was. And, you know, I finally got to do that. I think 2000. Yeah. I knew you've been there. That's great. And I, I would recommend anyone who can ever go, and it is at the top of Scotland, the Orkney Islands, and the, the big cliff is called the Old Man of Hoy. Yeah. Uh, and we, you know, hiked out to where they filmed the, the video overlooking the big cliffs and stuff. One of the most otherworldly places I've ever been. But I, I, I was obsessed with that. Again, kind of obsessed with Eurythmics, obsessed with their music. But I became obsessed with that video where on earth is this? It, right. it, it looked like nothing else you'd ever seen. Yeah. Just fascinated by that. Movie. Yeah. And I like what you said about how, you know, um, if, if somebody else had done it, yeah, it would have been a, oh, a beautiful model in a nightgown, you know, with, with rain, you know, rain, wind and rain and all. And I, and I love that, that you don't see any rain in the video until that one image where, you know, they show her in the mirror or whatever, and you and you see rain pouring very briefly. But yeah. there's no rain when she's walking around. There's no rain, you know, uh, during the normal course of the video. Later, you see her walking on rain, rain slicked steps and things like that. Which Steve Rapport said that they uh, slicked those down on purpose because they look better on camera to have them to have them <laughs> interesting, a little see, more reflective. So who knows if that it would it would, it would even been done, you know? So really, the only the only um, allusion to rain in the whole video is that one brief sequence where they show you know mm -hmm. like a, a a super a superimposed image of rain and so yeah it's just it stands by itself and it, it certainly doesn't look like something that would be made for a teenage audience <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> but then again, you could say that about any of their videos you know um, yeah um wow we're going on 50 minutes now yeah uh, we, we this may be a should we say this is a part one? <laughs> yeah, you know, let's see. Um, so we got through, uh, well, we could talk about Be Yourself Tonight really quick, and then we could we could then. Or do we need to talk about, do we need to talk about 1984? Oh, 1984, yes, 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 yes. We need, to, we need to talk about 1984. We'll talk about 1984, and then we'll, we'll do a part two. Um, All right. You know, but, so you, you had Sex Crime, 1984, and, of course, Julia from from that from the 1984 soundtrack album however you're supposed to refer to it soundtrack 
Eurythmics album. Never really sure how you were supposed it's, to refer to it. It's both, really. It's both. It plays more like an album than a soundtrack. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It would have been interesting if there had been a soundtrack with more of their, uh, you know, the background music that was part of the film eventually. Yeah. Um, and again, that's another anniversary album that we all would hope it would come out and we would get all of those sort of additional um, pieces of music that Dave's always talked about that they have. And we know that was part of the film eventually. So that would be great. But that was a great video. I mean, uh, for sex crime, again, another sort of performance video in a way, yeah. but not really. You got I'm not, I'm not a big fan of videos. Through. I'm not a big fan of videos where they intersperse, you know, scenes from movies. But this one seems to work fairly yeah. well. It, it, you know, it's it's, um, you know, the 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 the, the, the scapes of the movie and the scapes of the video seem to mesh well, and um, which of course, obviously, was I think deliberate on their part. If we're going to do this, let's let's make sure it looks good. Um, mm -hmm. It's great to see her sort of being aggressive in a band-like format with the guitar and um, you just playing the guitar, yeah, and and, and singing and shouting like that. That's some very interesting imagery. Um, some of my some of my favorite imagery actually is from that is from that video shoot of of, of the two of them like that. I think I think they just look very striking. And Steve shot that too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's yeah. got great. Yeah, Steve shot that. Um, great photos from there, and and remember how she looked. I mean, she's blonde in that video. Yeah. You know, totally new, quote, look for her mm -hmm. and how the public would perceive it. You know, and I think, you know. Well, I think we so talked about she it. She was before. no longer. To, to me, it's very reminiscent of the, uh, of Cabaret and the, uh, oh, the the Nazi, the blonde Nazi youth who's, who sings the, the patriotic song in the middle of the film and they're out in the country. Um, going along with that kind of fascist whole, you know, I mean, it just, it looks, it looks like that to me. That's what I, I imagine that's the reference point is that not that she was trying to look like a Nazi, but she's, ref, she's referencing, she's referencing oppression, fascism, Nazism through that, through that look. And then of course, because she's a woman, it sort of, up, it upends the whole thing as again, because it looks androgynous. And, um, mm -hmm. but one of her most striking looks I think is in that video. Um, she looks, she looks great. They both look great in that video. Yeah, it's a great, it's very interesting. And and she shot in that same location again in 2009, the David Gray. Right. Yeah, at Battersea. That's yeah. where shot. that weird? That's an iconic. Yeah. I mean, it looked like it was abandoned at the time. Yeah, iconic play. But, um, uh, yeah. It was on the Pink Pink uh, Pink Floyd album cover and, um, yeah, scene of the 1984 video and then Full Steam. And, and of course, now Julia groundbreaking of course because was that was later copied by Sinead O'Connor for nothing compares to you the close-up of the face just for the entire video I think um Annie's you know the Eurythmics and Julia had more more types of different facial shots whereas Sinead O'Connor's video I think just focused on her singular face for the whole video but still clearly I think Sinead O'Connor was inspired by that um and, and Julia and they're using you know, repetitious where it would come back in and out and in and out that same scene and, and so well edited and, and done with that. And uh, what a really great song, totally different song. I mean, I think it didn't do well any, uh, anywhere really of any consequence. Yeah. 
didn't no. make the top 40 in England, but such a beautiful song. I would have loved to have heard that song live over the yeah. years. It is a great so song. That, and his, I love his guitar work at the end is, is uh, really great. And, um, yeah, there's, you know, there's like the single version, which I think both the single version and the long album version play very well. I like both of them. Um, it is, a, it is a very underrated song. I try to get people to sort of, sort of into it and to hear it, but people don't really respond to that one for some reason, I guess maybe because it requires a lot of, it's slow. It requires a lot of listening and, and, and paying close attention. I think, yeah. I think it is one of those songs. It's going to, it's going to touch you in a different way, a different time. People may respond to it in a different point in their life or at some point, but um, really quite an exceptional song. It's just, uh, uh, yeah, well, everything on that album. I mean, you know, we sound very much like, well, everything's great and, you know, but, <laughs> when, but you know, but we are fans, but, but when you think about that time period, I mean, just the incredible stuff they had been putting out. I mean, this was an amazing body of work. Yeah. And, you know, they still had lots of albums and singles and videos to come. Right, right. Maybe that's a good segue to part two. We didn't expect to talk, but I think that's the, po the point of this podcast that, you know, we, we want to bring people in and kind of talk like this. And, right. Yeah, we, our initial goal is we don't keep, do. keep it to about 45 minutes, but, you know, yeah. I guess, I guess we, can, so. we can consider a good hour, you know, not a, not a bad thing. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, and the next one we'll talk about uh, the rest of the videos. And, um, yeah, and hopefully we can have um, other fans join us. Um, we'll definitely be putting out some information on how how we can do that. But I hope everybody well, enjoyed listening to us rambling on and on about Eurythmics. <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully it's interesting to people. You'll, everyone should let us know, okay, is it too much rambling? Are we talking about things that's interesting? Of course, yeah. we know we're talking about a lot of things that people know. Right. But we wanted to sort of, because of your website and what it is, that we did want to make sure that we did something about the videos. Yeah. And we could have more uh, succinct topics as we move forward. Right. That are very much specifically about something. So. Yeah, I, I you know, I think it was good, you know, good to get the way we the way we discuss out there. People can listen to it and decide. Um, like I said, you know, we're just we're just talking, and that's all we want to do is we want to have a dialogue with each other, and then hopefully bring in some other fans as well. And you know, the goal isn't like to like give you anything new and groundbreaking. It's just fun and interesting to talk about Eurythmics and their work and how we feel about it, and get people's your perspective on something, my perspective, somebody else's. So that's mainly the goal of all this. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So all, all right. right. Well, until next time. All right. Thanks a bunch.